This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. The Hog Sports Network presents the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America, the premier Arkansas hoops podcast covering the Razorbacks men's and women's teams. Here's your host, WholeHogSports.com basketball analyst, Scotty Bordelon. Welcome in again to the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. It is Halloween and Arkansas basketball has the people excited again, boys. Uh, what a Saturday in Bud Walton Arena. Razorbacks beat number three, Purdue, 81-77 in overtime in a charity exhibition that did not in any way feel like a game that didn't matter. Uh, I'm Scotty Bordelon with Whole Hog Sports, and I'm happy to be joined by Bob Holt of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and Ethan Westerman of Whole Hog Sports. Appreciate you guys being here. Um, before we get into the Arkansas-Purdue exhibition, some takeaways, I know we've got a lot of guys I'm sure that, that we want to want to talk about. I, I really, the other night after the game, I think I looked at Tom or Bob, one of the two, and was like, I don't know which direction I'm going to go in terms of a sidebar. And I ended up settling on Chandler Lawson, which looking at some of the page view numbers and stuff, I think that was a, a good good idea. Um, but there's a lot of guys that, that we can talk about, obviously. Uh, we'll get into the atmosphere, too. Um, but first, we have a little news to share on the women's side of things. Ethan, you want to fill everybody in? I think I don't think I'm stepping on anybody's toes saying this, but you've had this for a few days, maybe, and finally, finally came out today. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I think it, it happened late last week. The Jersey Wolfenbarger decided she didn't want to be a part of this year's basketball team. Um, there's not really a transfer portal to get into right now, so right. it's not like she's transferring. Um, so she's just choosing not to play this year. Um, the portal opens, um, I think, men's and women's, but women's for sure, um, the Monday right after the selection show. So it's all the way in March, March 18th, before it opens. But, yeah, it's uh, kind of a head-scratcher, you know. It's just, um, you know, maybe through these preseason practices and they had a couple closed-door scrimmages against TCU and Tulsa, maybe was just feeling like role wasn't exactly what she wanted. But, I mean, it's really not going to be <laughs> – your role now for this year is just not going to be playing basketball, I guess, except for on your own. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty head scratching, you know, to be this short um, notice, I guess, for the staff right before the season, I thought she was kind of destined to have, I don't want to say a breakout year, but her role was going to take um, a little bit more of a heightened, like, I don't know. I think she was going to be valuable to this team this year, just because she's one of the few that has height and they they were going to need that. So Gonna have to go smaller now. Um, definitely didn't. I didn't see it coming. Um, whenever I heard the news, it was just kind of a shock to me. But you know, she's a. You never know what's going on with an athlete. You know, you can't really ever just say blame them for saying, "Oh, they're doing the wrong thing by doing this." You don't know what she's going through. Um, no doubt. And so, you don't want to, you know, put too much blame on her. It just seems like a head scratching move. But I'm sure to her. And her support system, it makes some sense right now. But, yeah, Jersey Wolfenbarger won't be with the Razorbacks this year, and they open up um, actually a week from today. So uh, really, really short notice before the season. I think we can sometimes forget that these kids have other things going on in their lives. Not to say that it's, it's like, not basketball-related or, you know, I'm obviously removed from from this much farther than – I mean, you're on top of it, but I think we can – we just kind of look at this from a basketball lens. I mean, you know, maybe sometimes these kids have, have things going on that we're not aware of, but um, how does it impact the team, do you think? I mean, because I remember when she committed, it was a huge deal. 
I think it was what was it during COVID? I think that she committed. I could be wrong about that, but I vaguely remember. It would have been. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And so I, I mean, I remember when she committed. I called her high school coach Ricky Smith, and he was saying that she could be a one-name player, like a. I mean, obviously we know she's not going to be like a LeBron or a Kobe, but a lot of these players, like if you're if you reach a certain level, you can get that kind of one name. Asia Wilson moniker. on the women's side, they just call her Asia. Yeah, um, like that. Yeah, she had so much promise coming out of high school, and it might have just never been like a system fit. I don't know. It just it just didn't pan out. There's not really. I mean, she. It's not like she had bad seasons. It just wasn't what you mean. Whenever you're coming in as the number seven overall recruit in the nation, and people are making Kevin Durant comparisons to you, I mean, you just aren't expecting to see. I guess what we saw for two years, and maybe she was feeling a little bit of that of just like college hasn't gone how she's wanted. She knows what she's capable of. Maybe a change of scenery, but it, it's just head scratching the timing of it to me. For it to be this close <laughs> to the season, it's almost like. Um, you, I thought after the end of last season, I honestly thought I was like, oh, is she going to transfer? I just need a fresh start. Not right before season, though, to where now, um, you know, isn't going to have a season in her. But, yeah, it impacts the team greatly, in my opinion, just because she was, I think she's six foot five. Um, hard to make up for size. Um, but the good thing about a neighbor system and how he has his offenses, guard play, I mean, he can go smaller and they like to get shots up. So, And he has a lot of talented guards. Like, honestly, I was looking at their roster this past week, and I was like, man, there's so many people on here. I'm like, how are they going to get their minutes? Because uh, but maybe you just have to go smaller now a little bit and put some different combinations out there um, and just shoot out shoot people. They're also going to press this year, so maybe for a little bit of that rebounding that they might be losing, they'll create some turnovers and get some possessions that way. It definitely impacts them, especially, you know, you probably at this point, a week away from the season have an idea of how you're going to utilize all your players so just having to maybe readdress that but they're talented the jenna lawrence she's a freshman from uh she graduated from farmington from melbourne originally she's going to get to play um i already thought she was going to get to play this kind of confirms to me like her playing time is going to definitely be there now Mm -hmm. i'm excited for you to get to answer the questions on the board about why the team doesn't rebound better so that's going to be exciting after losing a six five piece that might help you with rebounding yeah that I'm, I might just pretend like I don't see those for a while. <laughs> yeah. Bob, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Have you recovered from the weekend? It was a, it was a good time. I think I was going to ask y'all, best weekend of the college football season so far, the basketball game. <laughs> well, probably the the best the football weekend for Arkansas. Uh, yeah, it was a win for one thing, and it was an exciting game, and it was an exhibition game. You don't want to. Uh, put too much stock in that, but you know, I, I think Purdue came in, you know, wanted to win and played hard, and it wasn't like they just played their starters, you know, t- twenty minutes. I mean, I thought the teams, you know, Z- Zach Eady was limited to twenty four because he fouled out, but right. the, the, you know, Purdue was playing their best guys, Arkansas was playing their best guys, they were going at it really hard, and you know, the crowd was into it. I mean. You wouldn't expect Purdue or any, you know, quality team that's got pride to come in here and, and not play their best and play to win, and I think they definitely did. So if you watch that uh, Tennessee-Michigan State game on Sunday, you know, Tennessee went into uh, to East Lansing and beat Michigan State. <coughs> Excuse me. So I know those, are again, they're exhibition games, but I still think it makes a, a pretty good statement for the, the top teams in the SEC anyway. And A&M went to um, – 
I think they played in North Texas, but they played yeah, play Texas, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I guess that's because their coach, the, the the Tech coach, you know, was from North Texas. Or maybe that was just a neutral place they could both meet. But but uh, Texas Tech beat A and M, who's you know supposedly supposed to do pretty well in the SEC. But yeah, I love these. Uh, I love these these exhibition games versus the close scrimmages. I know Eric Musselman doesn't like the close scrimmages, so that that's good for all of us. We get to see these high level games instead of information leaking out you know about a close scrimmage yeah for sure i think it's cool just to get to see both of the exhibitions like i think obviously you open up with a game where you know unless you're louisville you probably are going to win it (laughs) man and then you can just get guys some minutes you can get it was perfect for like a trevin brazil for example or a, a caleb battle for example guys come in not saying their their situations are identical in terms of injuries but caleb was dealing with a foot has all summer TV's coming back from his ACL, and they, you know, they got a little bit of run, knocked some of the rust off. Um, what did y'all make of the environment? It was pretty good. I thought, felt like, it's hard to say that it felt like an NCAA tournament game when it's in one of the team's home venue, if that makes if that makes sense. But it did feel like it was a game that did have some stakes attached, even though it didn't at all. It just kind of felt that way to me. Am I talking out of the side of my head or did it kind of feel that way to you like it like it meant something even though it it didn't well yeah well Matt, Matt Painter the Purdue coach he, he said it was an SEC or a Big Ten road environment and uh so I would say it was like an SEC home environment it was like Arkansas was playing you know Kentucky or Tennessee or Auburn or Alabama or somebody you know the crowd was really it was a packed house I mean I didn't really see any empty seats and those were all uh, those were not part of the season ticket package. Those were all people who bought tickets right. however long they'd been on sale. And, and it was lousy weather, which it wasn't like it was a snowstorm, but it was kind of cold and rainy. And, you know, people had a reason not to show up. The walk into the arena wasn't very fun. Yeah. And, no, and I saw that the, uh, the there were big lines of people. I think people were really ready for basketball. I think football, struggling like they have, has made people even more ready for basketball. And the fact it was Purdue – you know, a name-brand team with so many recognized – you know, with the way college players come and go these days, the one-and-dones, and there aren't – you know, when I was growing up, you had uh, Bill Walton and David Thompson, and, you know, you had recognizable guys that were in college three or four years. Um, and now, you know, some of the best players are gone after a year. So to have a guy like, like Zach Eady, who's, you know, the reigning national player of the year – and you get to see some other guys. Obviously, Arkansas has got some recognizable guys like Devo and Trevin's back. He probably wouldn't have been if he'd been healthy. He'd probably be in the NBA right now. But So that added to it, too. I think people really wanted to go say, oh, boy, how big does Zach Eady really look in person? Yeah, he's pretty big, you know, and, and how's Trevin look? And uh, they want to see the new transfers and see some of these freshmen maybe, you know. So I think, I think there was a lot of anticipation. And a lot of times, unfortunately, games don't deliver. You know, either Arkansas lays an egg or Purdue lays an egg or, you know, something happens. But that game really lived up to the hype. It did. I remember walking from the workroom. It was maybe 90 minutes. We'd just gotten led in the building. So 90 minutes before the game started, I go down to the workroom. I get a Coke, and I'm just like, I'm going – I think I'm going to go up because Purdue's out on the floor. You know, they're in the early stages of warming up and stuff. And I walk – to the right, like we're going toward up toward the media section, but I don't start walking up the steps yet because Zach Eady is doing some ball handling stuff with one of Purdue's support staffers or an assistant coach. And I felt like I was literally three feet smaller than him. 
his size is – I think it was – I talked to a Purdue guy, um, Brian Newbert. He covers Purdue for on three, and he told me – he was like, I think some of the teams that play Purdue, they can watch Edie on TV – and then they can watch him on film, and then they see him in person, and it's two totally different things. I'm 100% on board with that. He is he is a giant. Um, and then a few minutes after I got to that corner and was watching him, the students start flowing in, and they're literally racing to the bottom of the student section to get as close as they can to Edie to just start like throwing out this planned trash talk that they've got. And they were throwing out they were throwing out. Barb's like an hour and a half before the game started. It was it was a pretty fun environment. Um, Arkansas gave the crowd a reason to get into it right away. TB wins the opening tip and the place just pops, like he dunked on Edie almost. It was like one of those kind of pops, and then it happened again in overtime. Same deal. Um, I'll let you guys decide where we take this. Kind of a choose your own adventure type thing. Um, who do you want to talk about? Chandler Lawson, Trevin. Tremont Mark, Caleb Battle. I feel like we could probably go on and on about any of those guys. Who who do you want to go with first? Um, you just you already were yeah. talking about TB winning the tip. I think that fair enough. We can about, start there. Yeah, fifteen points, five rebounds, three steals. Not too bad. Second game back from an ACL. Um, stretched the floor really well. I think his maybe his greatest impact on the game was early second half. He hits those back to back threes. Pulls Purdue's four-man away from the rim a little bit. Opens up a lot of other stuff for for other guys. I thought that was that was huge because he he went over four from three in the first exhibition. And I think I wrote in the what to watch for if he if he could knock down a couple perimeter jump shots, it would literally open everything up. That was my first thought. Was it seemed like you know that UT Tyler game? It was honestly um, you're like, is he comfortable yet? Like, is is it just? It almost felt like it was new to him, just I'm actually out here playing again. His his jump shots just didn't look – I mean, you could tell he still had like that raw ability to impact the game against UT Tyler, but it wasn't like the kind of smooth – the smoothness that he showed uh, early last year, especially I think of like that Maui Invitational Tournament. But um, – and he can really impact the game when he when – he can impact the game whenever he's making shots um, and stretching the floor, and that's what he did against Purdue. It was good to see him get back – to knocking down shots um, because that I think that with this, this team this year, especially just with kind of all those different pieces you have um, whenever he, or I'll put Jeremiah Davenport in there as well. Whenever those two are knocking down shots from the perimeter, it opens up so much. Um, so yeah, I thought that it, it kind of felt like maybe that UT Tyler game, he was just shaking off rust on a standpoint of just like, he just needs to be on the court, like just get back to being used to playing. It seemed like Purdue game, he was shaking off the rust of like, okay, I'm not only playing, but I'm in a big game again. So yeah, he it really impacted to the game. It seemed like. Cashed in at the free throw line. He was five for five. He shot another three in the second half, got fouled, made all three of his free throws, um, blocked a shot early where he kind of baited a guy into a layup. On the, I think it was on the left block and kind of let him slip by and then he swatted it off the glass. Eric said that, or I asked, I asked, uh, asked Eric about somebody. I can't remember who it was. Maybe Caleb Battle first. And then my follow up question was, Have we talked about Trevin yet? And Eric was like, Oh yeah, he may have just only been the best player in the building today. What did you, what did you think of, of TB? He almost looked to me like he was. Mid-season form, I guess we haven't seen him in a mid-season, <laughs> I guess. But um, 
maybe kind of looked like himself again early last year pre-injury? Yeah, the three threes were big. He had a nice breakaway dunk on a fast break. I'm trying to remember who got the ball ahead to him. I can't remember. Oh, it was Devo. 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 And he really slammed it with authority. You know, one thing that I thought was significant, maybe five, six minutes in the game, he took a pretty hard fall. Yeah. And he was laying there, and I, I think you could just feel the arena was kind of holding their breath like, I covered eh, my eyes with both is hands. Is he okay? I didn't know what had happened. And, you know, I think he was just kind of getting up slow to gather himself or, or, or maybe got a little air knocked out. But it was And then he got up, and, you know, it was a big cheer, a big set of relief. But I think in a weird way it's kind of good for him to take some falls because, you know, invariably – in a rough and tumble season, you know you're gonna hit the hit the floor sometimes. Maybe not much, maybe not as much as Desi Sills used to, but a few times, uh, a couple of times a game maybe. And so I think it was good, uh, and I'm sure he's hit the floor in practice some too. But I think it's kind of good to to kind of just get that. Okay, I got knocked over, I got up, um, I'm fine, you know. But I, that that was uh, you know like kind of a scary moment, and maybe we were all overreacting to it because you know we hadn't seen him out there that much, but. That was a good thing to see. But yeah, he just looked real comfortable. I remember Eric, I think, said uh, during the week he'd play 15 to 25, and he played 31. So, And if that thing gone double overtime, he would have played some more. So no doubt. He obviously felt comfortable playing. Eric felt comfortable. I thought it was funny when Eric told us that, and I don't know if he was exaggerating, or, or, but he said TV came over a couple times and said, hey, can I get 30? I mean, can I get out of the game for 30 seconds, get a blow? And Eric's like, no. So I, I thought it was interesting that he was asking for, you know, and, and I'm sure he's still even, uh, I know he ran the mile in the summer in five-something minutes, a little over five minutes, and that's really good for, for a guy, especially a guy at 6'10". But, um, you know, he wants to be out there, and Eric wants to have him out there. So that, that's just a good sign. It just seems like he's, like he's comfortable again. For sure. And that plus-minus stat is really important in my head. Um, him and L. Ellis were L. Ellis had was plus nine. He was plus eight in the game. I think that number is really important. It just it shows that while you're in the game, uh, for those who don't understand how the plus minus works, that Arkansas outscored Purdue by eight points while Trevor Brazil was on the court. That just goes to show that you, whenever you're in the game, it helps out the team um, overall. Just like you're you're at your best with those two in the game this past weekend. You look at some of those other numbers, you see like Chandler Lawson was plus six, Traymond Mark was plus six. So some guys that whenever they were on the court, good things happened. For sure. I thought TB was really good. Um, so you start the game with TB and Chandler Lawson as your four and five guys. And I thought Trevin and Makai Mitchell did this too, to an extent. It was you know, he wasn't defending Zach Eady, so he had to make things as tough as possible on the guy who was trying to make injury passes. And I, I should have charted the deflections from Arkansas's bigs, but um, on those injury passes, he was he was phenomenal. There was one time where he played like he was a safety. He just kind of came over the top of uh, on one of the injury passes to Eady and just tipped the ball away. Um, Arkansas got a steal out of that. But Trevor Brazil, Chandler Lawson, Makai Mitchell, those are – Eight, that's eight steals from your three big guys. Like, that's really, really good activity, and I think they had five blocks between them, too. Um, anything else on TB standout? I'm trying to think. Four um, fouls drawn is big, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that, too. That was, that was big. And he didn't commit a foul. Yeah. Didn't commit a foul. He de- defended pretty – I thought he was pretty smart. And drawing fouls is just such a compounding effect of, like, it's not only benefiting you, but they got in foul trouble, some of those guys on particular – I mean, think of Edie right off the bat. that He got in foul trouble. Um so, yeah, those four foul draw, fouls drawn probably were pretty big. I could be mistaken, but I think one time in overtime, 
he found the ball in his hands at the top of the key, tried to take his guy off the dribble, drew a foul, got to the free throw line. I think that's right. I was listening to this game on the radio, so you really? I'm having to try and retrace <laughs> my radio. Uh, <laughs> no, it was interesting, though, because when we were, me and Bob and you were at Media Day, and Media Day's in Birmingham, and somebody asked Trevins, like, what's your game going to look like this year? And Trevins said, yeah, I'm going to be handling in some pick and roll. And I'm just, I'm just like, what? <laughs> and then he gets, I mean, I don't think this wasn't a pick and roll situation, but it's like, I feel like I could maybe get by the guy that's in front of me type of thing. And Drew Contact got to the line. Eric's crazy about those FTAs, so that was probably pretty good for him to see. One more thing, one more thing on, on Trevin, and then we'll go to a break real quick. Um, Ethan, you helped out with this for the UT Tyler game, and then I went back and rewatched the Purdue exhibition. Shots defended. Trevin Brazil gave up four buckets on 13 shots defended in the two exhibitions. It was pretty good for working yourself back. He would have had three field goals allowed on 12 attempts if he hadn't goaltended a shot at the final buzzer the other day. Pretty good defensively. Um, working your way back from an injury. Uh, we'll throw it to a break real, real quick, and then we'll get in um, get into maybe the star of the game the other day, uh, Tremont Mark and Chandler Lawson. You're listening to the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. Get the latest breaking news on all Arkansas Razorback sports at wholehogsports.com. Our award-winning reporters and photographers go beyond game recaps to bring our subscribers the most trusted Razorbacks news anywhere. With expert analysis, the latest in recruiting, plus unique and compelling stories of your favorite teams. Subscribe today at wholehogsports.com. Welcome back in to the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. We teased that we were going to get into Tremont Mark and Chandler Lawson after the break, and those are the two guys, I think, outside of Trevor Brazil that we really needed to hit on. I want to talk about Caleb Battle, too, because he was, he was pretty good the other day. There's another guy coming off of an injury. We'll go with Chandler Lawson real quick. 10 points, knocked down a three, a couple of rebounds, three blocks, three steals. Could you have asked for a better performance against a reigning national player of the year? And a guy that's got, what, he's got eight inches on you in height, right? It's crazy to be 6'8 and somebody's eight inches taller than you. Like, that just that doesn't make good sense to me. But he makes up for it with his wingspan, athleticism, some quickness, good defensive anticipation, I thought. He's a guy that I think – I thought this before they played Purdue, that Chandler Lawson and what he'd done this preseason had surpassed, like, quote, just a good preseason story type thing. I think he's going to help this team quite a bit. And Saturday, I think, cemented that for me. Like, I think he's a potential starter. And I think he looked really good the other day, you know, right, right next to TB in the front court, Bob. Yeah, I mean, he was a late – addition to the team I mean frankly I think the Arkansas along with some other teams were, were, were in on on uh, Brett Nelson uh, who went to Alabama and so okay you didn't get him you need to add some size okay here's Chandler Lawson from from Memphis and uh, they're probably different kinds of players Nelson's much more of an offensive player I think but I really think Chandler Lawson fits into Eric's philosophy I mean he's a defense first guy uh, Tremont Mark, I think, referred to him as being nasty the other mm -hmm. day. This was before the game, and I kind of asked, what does that mean? Well, you know, he does a lot of the – when I say dirty things, I don't mean like he's, you know, oh, trying to hurt people. He does the dirty people. work. Yeah, he does the yeah. dirty work. Yeah, he's, he's getting deflections, and he's 
box. And I, you know, he, he had two rebounds. You think, wow, two rebounds. But because he was keeping Edie off the glass pretty well, and part of that was because Edie was in foul trouble. But Edie, you know, he averages about 14 boards or about 13 boards last year, and uh, he got nine. And then uh, they got him in foul trouble. And so, um, you know, he, he maybe didn't get the rebounds, but he made it possible for other guys to get those rebounds. It's kind of like it, I, I don't know why basketball doesn't do this, but in hockey, like you know, an assist is the, the pass at least the pass at least the goal you get an assist. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure why basketball players maybe don't get that. I also think they should get an assist when guy gets guy gets a free throw off. Uh, get gets fouled because of a good pass by them, but I guess yeah, I chart that as a potential yeah, assist. That, yeah. that, that's that so, leads to points potentially. Yeah, and, and the deflections, I mean that that's a a stat. I know you guys do a good job of keeping track of that. And, and Arkansas has got like 800 people on the bench to keep tra- track they of that. They do, yeah. And uh, so that's a big deal. You know, maybe you don't get the steal. You deflected the pass at least to the steal, or maybe the ball went out of bounds. But that meant it's kind of like when when a hitter fouls off a real good pitch. Maybe he didn't get a hit, but now the pitcher's got to throw him another pitch, and if he doesn't make another perfect pitch, maybe he gets a hit. And so he does a lot of things that maybe don't show up in the box score, and then he does things that do show up in the box score, like steals and block shots and points. You know, the fact he can hit a three, but he doesn't get three happy, as I would say, you know, sometimes the guy hits a three, and you're like, oh, man, that's bad, because now he's going to take four or five more. You don't need to take. Some guys are like that. Chandler doesn't seem to be. Yeah, he took two threes the other day. Yeah, I mean, he's just a nice pickup, and he's very mature, like a lot of these transfers. I think he's real hungry. I mean, you know, Memphis has a good program. They went to the NCAA tournament. You know, they, they almost beat FA, FAU. Maybe Memphis goes to the Final Four if they win that game. I don't know. But, um, um, you know, and he, he started off his career at Oregon, so he's got some maturity. I think when you're on your third school, and, you know, you, you, you have some maturity too. You've been through some stuff, some different coaches, some different philosophies. You know, Eric, one th- I mean, th- to me, the best thing Eric can say about a guy is he's coachable. No doubt. Because Eric's not an easy guy to play for. I mean, you, you talk to a guy like Jalen Graham, and he'll tell you what an adjustment it was coming from Arizona State. And I, I'm sure, you know, Bobby Hurley has tough practices, but it sounds like, you know, Eric Musselman's practices were like a, a total culture shock to Jalen. And so, and it probably is that way with a lot of guys. But, you know, Chandler got in here late. I don't exactly remember when he got in here. Um, he committed on June 23rd, so it was like the next to last yeah. Friday of, of June. So he probably didn't get in here until about July. He was a bit behind. I remember talking to some some guys for some summer stuff I was doing. They were kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say about Chandler Lawson because we haven't seen him that much. So he got in late, and he's really caught up in a hurry, you know, it seems to be, you know, gotten up to speed with everything. And um, so, yeah, to me, he was a real, you know, just diamond in the rough or pleasant surprise, whatever, overachiever. But he's he's much better than I anticipated for, for a guy you got late in the process. Got to give credit you to know. Scotty for this one, too. Scotty said after their first media we had with him, I remember Scotty looked over to me and he said, he thinks Chan-, he's like, I think Chandler Lawson could have a real place with this team. And I was like, all right, sell me on it. And he, <laughs> Scotty was just picking up on how Eric Musselman talked about him. And I'm like, Yeah, you know? I mean, when Eric... Eric doesn't throw out those compliments. Like, he doesn't hand them out, like, and then, like, trick-or-treat candy. Like, it's you got to work to get those those dead gum compliments from him. And he just threw it out unprovoked. Like, we did not ask about Chandler Lawson because I think at the time when we went over and talked to him, he's kind of like, yeah, well, he committed in June and he got here late and probably got a lot of making up to do. And not a real big offensive piece. We'll see defensively what he can do. I think he's he could be like a really good rim running type guy, good defensive potential. Anytime you've got like bowl bowl type length, I think 
that can find its way on the floor, but you've got to show that you can do something other than be long, if that makes sense. Well, he's shown it. <laughs> yeah, he really has. And I've, I've, I remember writing in the rotation projection for HI that I did, I think it, gosh, it may have been September, mid-September. It was definitely before media day when Eric gave that compliment to him. And I was like, I think he's one of four guys with Denajay Harris, Layden Blocker, and Bay Fall that, you know, has got an uphill battle to crack the rotation. Now I think it's going to take something very drastic for him to, like, not be in that rotation. Like, he's a potential potential starter now. Like, if you can trust this guy to, to defend the reigning national player of the year, dude, like, what can you not trust him with? You know what I mean? Um, wanted to real quick read some of these the names of these schools that also had an interest in Chandler Lawson before he committed here. You ready? DePaul, Santa Barbara, Cal, St. Louis, South Carolina. That's not exactly like that's not exactly a sweet list of schools. But he I think Eric and them did their research on him and that's that's kind of what he said the other day. Like we did our research on him, we found out he was really coachable. Um, Diamond in the Rough. I think I think I wrote in a column that's going to come out next week's Hogs Illustrated. I think I called him a late June gem from the transfer portal. Really, really good. Sticking with him for a, another second, we did, like I mentioned earlier, the shots defended for each player. Chandler Lawson gave up four buckets on 21 shots defended. Pretty good. That's, that's under, the first two games combined? The first two exhibitions. That's under 20%. On two-point attempts, he allowed four buckets on 17 shots. So he defended four threes, but again, under 25% defending two-point shots. That is that's going to play, and I think it, I think it gives you a little bit more credibility that one of those two teams is a Purdue. Like it's it wasn't a huge surprise. I think you tracked against UT Tyler. He didn't give up a bucket on seven field goal attempts, but you defend twice as many shots the next week against Purdue and you're still holding them well under what is that I'm not great at math 35 or 40 percent yeah maybe less than that so yeah it's definitely one thing to give up no buckets to these guys I mean they had dudes out there handling the ball look like me dog yeah I mean but then to go against those guys you saw Saturday and kind of keep up that defensive performance it was impressive Tremont Mark he's good I mean, I think he's he's probably <laughs> what they expected coming from Houston. I wasn't exactly sure we were going to see point guard Tremont Mark, especially in some crunch time minutes. <laughs> but now I think moving forward, you probably feel pretty good about putting the ball in his hands in crunch time. Like, yeah, he missed some free throws, but Eric said he's going to trust that kid and his mental toughness, kind of like he did with, with J.D. Note a few years ago. Like, I think he said, even though JD he, JD could have missed ten straight shots, I'm still going to ride with him. I think he's probably probably going to feel that way about Tremont. Let me look at his final numbers the other day. What did he finish with? He had 15 points, six rebounds, drew five fouls, five of ten from the floor, had four assists. I think that's that was the most underrated part of his game the other day was the four assists because he was really good about using that side ball screen, kind of snaking it. And putting a defender on his back, and then when he drew the drew Edie or whoever the five man was in drop coverage, because you got to respect that mid range pull up, right? And he can rise up like he's going to take the shot, and then he can find a Makai Mitchell at the rim for a dunk. I think that that is the value of Tremont Mark. He can beat you at, at all three 
levels of the floor, and he might be your best defender. What, what were your, your thoughts on Tremont and uh, maybe what impressed you most about his preseason? Yeah, well, one thing you just mentioned, you know, Eric's talked about he's, he's a great defender and what a good combo he and Devo would be. Or, you know, if Devo's guarding, you know, the other team's top scorer, then, then Tremont gives him a break. So you think, okay, here's a defensive first guy who got 15 points. You know, his only three of the game basically sent it into overtime, the only three he tried. And then, you know, he did miss, uh, I think, three three or four. He, he was one of five on free throws. He missed the first two in overtime. Then he missed the, the first one of two. But then he knocked down his last three. And he also had, he had five points in a row in overtime. That, that's obviously really big. He and L. Ellis really took over in overtime. And, um, you know, getting six boards. I mean, and he's six six, so he's not – I mean, he's a pretty big guard, small forward. I mean, Eric might play him at the five or something, depending on who, who they're playing and what the matchups are. So just I just got to love his versatility. And, yeah, the fact that, you know, they used him in pick and rolls and he had the ball in his hands. I don't think he had any turnovers, right? That's big. You know, you play as many minutes as he did, especially at crunch time, no turnovers. Yeah, didn't turn it over in yeah. almost – it was one second shot of playing 36 minutes. Yeah, and that, that's – to me, that's impressive, the ball handling – and um, he, he was a great pickup. You kind of wonder, you know, how did how did Houston let this guy get away? But I know they had, you know, they had, you know, Cryer from Baylor who's really good, maybe a different kind of player, more of a scorer. But, um, yeah, this guy started for a team that was ranked number one most of the year, much of the year, and was a number one seed. And, you know, he played three years there. So this guy's pretty good. I mean, Eric's not getting guys from, you know, Cleveland State or something. <laughs> No offense to Cleveland State. I don't know why I thought of that, but he. Uh, I mean, it's a he's, good random school. Yeah, he, he, he's getting guys from, uh, you know, that the played for really good programs and really good coaches, demanding coaches. I mean, I, maybe I don't know if you know, Eric Style may be a little bit different than Kelvin Sampson, but they're both. You know, Kelvin Sampson coached in the NBA some um, after he got in, got in trouble in Indiana. So, you know, those the, Eric and Kel, Kelvin Sampson, two of the best coaches around. You know, Matt Painter talked about. Mark, you know, playing for a great coach, you know, and now he's playing for another great one. And so, you know, what a what a great pickup. Uh, a guy who's coming from a winning culture. I mean, to me, it's interesting. You got L. Ellis who came from, you know, 4-28 and Louisville. I, I, th- I saw where they lost, I think, to Kentucky Wesleyan the other day. I mean, you wonder if Kenny Payne's going to make it through the year. I, no offense to Kenny Payne. I don't really know the guy, but good Lord. You, you lose to Lenore Ryan one year, and then you lose to Kentucky it's Wesleyan. It's like these Division II exhibition games are becoming by games for the D2 I, school. I, I, I know. I saw Pace. <laughs> well, we're talking about Pace beat St. John's and Rick Patino, but um, wherever Pace is, I have no idea. Probably around New York somewhere. Find it in your local grocery yeah, store. Exactly. But, um, you know, I, I mean, my guess is L. Ellis was excited to win the red-white game. I mean, this guy, play, he's a really good player, and he seems like a really good guy, and he played for just a horrible team last year. And you just feel like, wow, thank you know, you're happy that guy's out of that situation, but so to me, it's two totally different situations. You know, Teron Mark comes from one of the best programs in the country, but he feels like Arkansas. You know, it's and I don't know what kind of conversations you have with Kelvin Sampson. Maybe he wanted to play a different role, whatever. But he goes from one of the top programs in the country to one of the other top programs in the country, and L. Ellis goes from. You know, Louisville's a, a historic program, but they're a train wreck right now. Let's face mm-hmm. it. And he's just got to feel like he just, you know, got out of a, sh- you know, a lifeboat that was being circled by sharks. And now he's on 
you know, a big ocean liner or something, you know, he's, and, uh, uh, so it's guys from two totally different situations, but yeah, I think they're both going to be great contributors for Arkansas and they played great together, played really well off each other in that overtime. I thought. As I've been doing, we kind of recap in each guy's game, give you some defensive numbers for Tremont Mark against Purdue. He defended 12 shots and gave up three buckets and, he defended the most three-point attempts of anybody on the team, and Purdue was 0 for 5 when he was the nearest defender on a three-point attempt. So he was – what was he – what was in the UT Tyler exhibition, what did they shoot against him, like 0 for 4, 0 for 5, something like that? So 3 for 16 or 3 for 17 defensively in two exhibition games, that's – that's kind of – I don't want to say that you expect that to happen, but you're not surprised by it, I don't think, in the least. All right, let's get into Caleb Battle. Might be – I think he's like my early candidate for favorite guy on the team. We didn't get a chance to watch him in the red-white showcase because that foot was bothering him again. He broke it in the summer, was having some soreness. And when you see him walk out during pregame – pregame warm-ups on crutches in a walking boot you're like oh god what is happening and then we don't really hear anything about him for a while and then on twitter he's just like y'all quit asking i'm i'm coming in the two exhibition games he averages 13 points shoots four of nine from three and i think it was i think i was kind of like with tv i was just wanting i thought the first exhibition was going to be good for caleb to knock the rust off so he needed it and were some of the points that he scored in that late in that UT Tyler game empty calories? Maybe, whatever. But the kid saw the ball go in. He hasn't seen it go in a whole lot lately because he hasn't been on his feet working with the team much. In the Purdue exhibition, he gave you a lot, like 12 points, five rebounds. I thought you saw some of that jersey toughness a little bit come out of him, especially defensive rebounding. He was great defensive rebounding, especially late. He was... Um, I remember on a late miss by Purdue in overtime, he fought with the Ethan Morton kid, who I think is like 6'7 or 6'8. He's the tall kid, number 25. Basically won a rebound, a contested rebound with him. Saw him pick a guy's pocket at midcourt, which one of my biggest questions I think about Caleb coming here was what, okay, we know you can score. That's obvious. Been able to score probably ever since he picked up a basketball and was playing, you know, pick up with dudes that are older than him in Jersey. Can you defend? I think we figured out that he's got a little bit more to him defensively than what I initially thought. And hes I think he's okay kind of being on an island with somebody. And maybe he probably felt better because he had four teammates behind him when he was at half court and picked the guy's pocket. Um, but I think he can sit down and guard you. And I think he's going to bring a lot of toughness to this team. And I think maybe the most underrated play of the whole game was when L. Ellis got that and one in overtime to give Arkansas the lead for good. Caleb stoned Zach Eady with a pick. Like L's going toward the rim. Caleb is going from the rim toward the, like maybe kind of toward the left elbow. And he stones Zach Eady and doesn't allow Eady to contest L's layup. And Arkansas never trails again. So I'm pretty high on Caleb. 13 points a game in the two exhibitions. Um, Maybe I just took all the points that y'all y'all might have had, but 
he was he was really good, and I'm really excited about him. I think he might be a potential X factor. He's that guy that he just has swagger the whole time yeah. on the court, and whenever he gets going, he's that guy that will get the crowd really into it. Just the way that he gets hyped about his makes. Uh, I thought that there was there was a stretch in the game on Saturday. Um, hear me out. I was listening to this on the radio and trying to stream it on my phone in the middle of Oklahoma. So this wasn't a great viewing experience for me. But there was a stretch, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, that he made like two threes in a pretty quick amount of time. Yeah. And he, he had that place jumping through uh, the broadcast I was listening to. I mean, it was it's funny because on those broadcasts, you know, they have the technology to kind of make it like the where the crowd isn't like, you know, just killing your ears. Mm-hmm. It killed my ears there for a second whenever Caleb Battle started hitting some threes. I was like, okay, they're really into it right now. It seems like he's that guy, just kind of that swagger that you need to get the crowd into it at times. He does have swagger. And when I did the cover story on him for the magazine in the summer, and we would talk to like L. Ellis and Jeremiah Davenport, they were like, yeah, dude, this dude from this dude from Jersey is is different. Bob, what do you what do you like about him? Maybe the most. You know, there was a guy who played at Baylor, and then he played for the Detroit Pistons, Vinnie Johnson. They called him the microwave because he warmed up so fast. He came in the game, and he just gave you instant offense. I think that's kind of what battle can do for Arkansas. It's great to have a guy like him. I mean, obviously, he could start a lot of places. He could start here. But um, if you don't start him, it's great to bring that guy, you know, off the bench. He just, you know, if things aren't going well, you put him in to maybe provide a spark. Or if things are going well, you put him in there to to take things to an even higher level. But I just like what a guy like that can give you off the bench energy-wise, whether, like you say, defensively, um, he's been kind of a surprise. I think he averaged, what, 18, 17, 18 points at Temple, and so you knew he could score. But he's probably not going to do the – you know, he's not going to average 17 or 18. here. None of these guys, you know, Ellis averaged 17. But they're all going to have to – It could be one of those things where they may not average 17 or 18, but it's like 12 or 13, maybe 11 or 12, something like that. And they maybe get you 18 or 20 when you need it, right. on those nights you need it. Um, but I think all these guys, you know, some guys want to go somewhere where they're going to be the star, you know. And these guys, so I think they all want to win, you know, and make a run in the NCAA tournament, have a shot to win a national title, go to Final Four and all that, and, you know, play at a high level to impress scouts so they're going to get a shot to play in the NBA or overseas, wherever, make some money. And so I, I admire these guys for all – uh, not being intimidated, so to speak, by the roster and saying, well, gosh, they've already got this guy and this guy. Where are my minutes going to come? No, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to play. I'm going to play my role. And I'm going to earn my minutes and I'm going to help us win a lot of games. I think that's what a lot of these guys are thinking, which that, that that's a good thing and that's a good culture Eric's created where, um, you know, guys aren't afraid of competition and they're going to support each other and you know, some nights it might be this guy, some nights it might be that guy. You know, Matt Painter talked about all, all the interchangeable parts. And, he, you know, he was talking about the guards, you know, whether it was, you know, Battle or Mark or, you know, Davenport came in there. That was a guy he was familiar with because Cincinnati played Purdue in one of those secret scrimmages last year. And, you know, Layden Blocker came in there and played. He did. He played he, his minutes well. Yeah, he didn't play a lot. I think he played seven. But I think he was productive. He had, uh, I think he had five points and an assist. Didn't turn it over, I don't think. You know, and it, it, tell you what's really nice is, you know, Layden Blocker would be like the go-to guy for a lot of teams, honestly. I mean, he's a, you know, highly rated recruit. And the fact that they can ease him in, I think, is really nice. It's good for him. It's good for the team. It's, you know, think about what a learning experience it is for him to be around all these veteran guards. I mean, he must just be soaking up so much 
uh, information every day and just kind of learn how to be a college player. And this is how you practice. This is how you, you know, eat. This is how you get your rest, whatever. Um, he's just soaking up a lot of good information from all these older guys. And so where maybe next year, I mean, I don't see him as a one-and-done guy, you know, but I think mm-hmm. next year he could, he could really take his game to another level. So I think it's really great um, that they don't have to rely on freshmen, which honestly last year they had to rely on freshmen. Those guys are great, and they're in the NBA now. But, you know, if you're asking me, I kind of like having a bunch of old, tough college players. Appreciate you guys being here doing this again. Today was therapeutic almost. The weekend, get to spend a Saturday in, in Bud Walton Arena again instead of watching a – Offense go three and out in 48 seconds. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America after the season openers for the men's and women's team. Arkansas opens the se- Arkansas's men open the season against Alcorn State on Monday at 7 on SEC Network Plus. Arkansas's women host ULM at 7 o'clock on Tuesday on SEC Network Plus. Is that right? Yep. Do you know anything about ULM? I actually do. Basically, hit us with it. I'll hit you with what to know about the ULM women. They're basically just a completely new team. They got eight people from the portal, and there are a lot of people that Arkansas women have actually faced. They got two players from uh, Auburn, Sania Wells, and Ja'Kayla Johnson. And this one's actually really intriguing to me. They got Deja Bradford from Clemson, who's a girl that Michaela Daniels last year they played in the Bahamas or the Virgin Islands, and her and Michaela Daniels got into it and got both got ejected from the oh, game. Oh, nice, some spiciness so right off the bat. So there's going to be some spiciness right <laughs> off the bat that they didn't get to settle their beef last year. They both got ejected from that game. But they also got a new coach, and their coach is – her name's Missy uh, Bilderbeck, and she's been at Jones College, Mississippi, for the past eight years, which is, like, actually where Arkansas – Arkansas has a girl who played for her just last year. They got her uh, Carly Keats who played under ULM's coach just last year, and then Alexis Tolfrey, who played here, also went to Jones College. So there's yeah. a lot of connections, actually, with this game. Um, but it's actually probably a pretty good team they're playing, considering they got eight players from pretty respectable programs that they got out of the portal. So they might actually give the women a test first game. I don't know, but um, I'm mainly just here for the beef. I want to see Deja and Michaela Daniels maybe. Yeah, mix it up. Yeah, I kind of want to see them maybe get back into it a little bit. Yeah, that'd be fun. I had to go back to my story that I wrote on late July when we found out Arkansas was going to open with Alcorn State to find anything about the Alcorn State men's team. What I do know is the last time that Arkansas opened a season against Alcorn State, Rodney Clark went for 51 and hit 13 threes, um, which I think at the time it set a record for most three-pointers made in a game. Um, What else? They went 18 and 14 last year. They're 15 and three in the SWAC, so they're a pretty good team in the SWAC. 18 wins were the mo- program's most in conference play since 2016-17. Back-to-back regular regular seasons SWAC titles. Arkansas is 0 and 5, or Arkansas is 5 and 0 against them. That'd be bad if they were 0 and 5, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be good. It would not be great. Um, haven't played since December 2012, and Marshawn Powell's in school. How about that? Um, it seems like Alcorn State might be a good team for their conference. I'm setting the line at like 32 and a half. Well, I mean, there's a reason teams are in the SEC and there's a reason teams are in the SWAC. That's I mean, fair. And, and the SWAC, you know, they have some quality teams. I mean, was it Texas Southern to beat Colorado last year? It was weird. It was like this Big 12 SWAC challenge. And some of those. Oh, Texas Southern beat Florida last year. 
didn't they? Was it Florida? I can't remember. Hey, Johnny Jones, you know, who was uh, Eric worked for Johnny Jones at LSU, and then Johnny Jones worked for Eric at Nevada. But Johnny Jones is a very good coach, and they've had some good wins. I'm not trying to put the swag down, but honestly, what makes the tough things that swag teams do is November, December, it's not unusual for them literally to play like 10 road games just for the guarantee because they're bankrolling that school's whole athletic department a lot of times. And it's just crazy what some of the teams will do. They'll go on the road literally for like two months, and maybe the first home game they play might be a conference game. You know, they don't get any non-conference games. but So that toughens them up. But, um, um, you know, like Scotty said, they, they won back-to-back SWAC titles, so they have a winning culture, and I'm sure they'll be excited to come in and play. But certainly it's, it's a team Arkansas should be able to handle. And I talked about getting a little bit of chirping on – Tuesday. I feel like a lot of times whenever you play those swag teams, there's a lot of chirping going on out there too. Y'all might get some on Monday night. I'm sure Caleb Battle wouldn't wouldn't be too too upset about that. Get to get to talk a little bit. Um, Alcorn State's going to play one home game before January 20th, so that speaks to what what Bob's talking about. And that home game is against Xavier. Ken Palm has given Arkansas an, a 98% chance to win, predicted score 84 to 61. So maybe I'm a little bit off on my my the borderline sportsbook spread, but I think it's probably going to going to get to there. I think Arkansas's got enough offensive firepower and to to put up a bunch of points in that game. I'm not going to make a prediction on a final score. I'm so bad with that, but I think for some reason 32 and a half just popped into my head. So I'm going to run with that. Um, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, we'll be back, like I said a few minutes ago, next week after uh, Arkansas's men's and women's teams get through their season openers. For Bob Holt and Ethan Westerman, I'm Scotty Bordelon. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back soon on the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. The preceding has been a production of the Hog Sports Network. Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.